Hey Horribles, we did it! This is episode 50. We made it to 50 episodes, we're almost at a year. It'll be a year since our first episode on Halloween when we dropped our Jennifer's Body episode a year ago. So, we're super excited. Uh, that being said, next month we're starting our scary movie month. So we're going to have a couple of great episodes, five in all, uh, talking about some of the classic slashers. The whole party of our favorite guests from the past and a couple of new faces as well. So if you want to hear us talk about Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Saw, or Child's Play, it's all in there. It's going to be a great time. And if you're enjoying us and you would like to help us continue to make great podcasts like this, please, we would love it if you would stop by our Patreon. Just five bucks a month will get you episodes a week early, and it'll also get you bonus episodes as our progressively furious podcast all about the fast and the furious movies only gets posted there so you'll get those as part of your patreon and we would love to see you there it'll help us continue to make great podcasts like this that said this is our episode about promising young woman uh we had our friend liana congas to come in to talk about it she is great this podcast is a lot of fun the movie was great so we're excited to have you jump in so, here we go. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified. The show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight we're talking about a movie that recently snatched a lot of awards and headlines, Promising Young Woman. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, my co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? I have never been so upset to see so many of my favorite actors. <laughs> right? We'll, we'll talk about it. this cast is amazing. It's uh, an incredible cast, but it's everyone using their likability to reveal another side of societal horribleness. And it starts right from the get go with like, oh, no, not you, Sam Richardson. And it keeps going <laughs> all the way to Max Greenfeld. Yes. Uh, next up, my frequent collaborator, comics artist and certified revenge aficionado, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? What Ben said, Bo Burnham is too good to be true. <laughs> I think we all agree on that one, right? Yeah. And our special guest tonight, the writer and artist of a number of comics, including the recent hits True Cult and She Said Destroy. It's our friend Leanna Kangas. Leanna, how are you tonight? I'm great. Uh, this is a wonderful reunion. I was just talking about uh, prior to recording that I just walked into the theater that I last saw you and be... Uh, Two, a year ago, two years ago. You said two years ago. I can't even remember ago. time anymore. This yeah. is great. I love that I'm meeting Emily for the first time. And I feel like this is going to be a great time already. So I'm great. This is awesome. Fantastic. Thanks for inviting me. Awesome. Thank you for I mean, I'm very upset about this movie. And, and I liked it. But also, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just the sort of quick recap of who who made this. It's written and directed by Emerald Fennell. This is her uh, debut feature film. 
Um, she's written a lot for Killing Eve and has done some short films and a variety of other things. I mean, she's amazing. This movie stars Adam Brody, Sam Richardson, obviously Carrie Mulligan is the main character, Clancy Brown, Jennifer Coolidge, Laverne Cox, Bo Burnham, Christopher Mensplace, Allison Brie. Like, it's just like a murderer's row of amazing people. Connie Britton is in this movie. Molly, Molly Shannon. Shannon, Max Greenfield. Like, it's insane. Like, Dr. Octopus is in this movie. Um, <laughs> not, I guess not the Dr. Character. Octopus technically, but Alfred Molina is Look, in this movie. The trailer came out yesterday. We're allowed to call him Dr. Wait, Dr. I haven't seen the trailer yet. Don't say anything. Oh, I know, I'm terrible. But also, that character, Alfred Molina's character. Oh, my God. Yeah, like there, there's so many great actors in this and they're used so sparingly and just to amazing effect. The, I, the IMDb for this says a young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who cross her path. And that is way underselling it. Um, I and, need a movie with some kind of sideways-esque tone or Sundance type feel where it's Clancy Brown and Jennifer Coolidge being another married couple, like, I don't know, doing some kind of road trip, like coming of middle age type yeah. thing. Because they are great together, like just as parents, like Jennifer Coolidge and Clancy Brown, like they do the supportive parents well, but then they also have a lot of depth and complexity to them. And they're both playing like so hard against type, like because Clancy mm-hmm. Brown plays so many bad guys and he's he is, if anything the more supportive of the parents and Jennifer Coolidge, my, my wife watched part of this movie with me and she was like, what did they do to her? Like, she seems deflated. She just doesn't feel like Jennifer Coolidge. I mean, she is a middle-aged mom. So I feel like she played it perfectly. Honestly, it is something you look through this cast and like, Hey, guess who the gentlest man in this movie is. (laughs) Yeah. It's fucking Lex Luthor. Um, Oh my God. Yeah, so usually I ask if like what the scare level is on this. I feel pretty confident in saying like this movie isn't spooky in the usual horror movie sense. It's not terrifying. It is just across the board existentially disconcerting. It is difficult to watch in ways that have very little to do with like things jumping out at you or blood and gore. Oh, thousand percent. Yeah, the the existential disconcertion, if that's the term. Sure. Um. It starts minute one, like already my, you know, you watch it and um, all the khakis. I feel morning khakis. Hard candy is a movie we're probably going to be bringing up fairly often during this as a point of reference. Yeah. Um, But I feel like if that was a heightened situation to just make things as intense and uncomfortable as possible, I feel like with Promising Young Woman, there's a lot more of the uncomfortableness from the banality and the normality of and the horrifying normality of a lot of the situation like so much of the horror and typed from yeah if I think too, you're getting any sense that view of uh the main character so you're intentionally made to feel uncomfortable because you're the exact uh point of view so yeah they, they really sort of bring you into uh into circles of people that a lot of people may not be privy to wouldn't necessarily overhear like right at the beginning here and there's there's a lot of stuff that's difficult to deal with in this movie um usually we give like a list of trigger warnings this i just wrote yes under the trigger warnings <laughs> um 
like there's not a ton of gore in this movie but it is it anything around uh rape and sexual assault that you know might be triggering for people like absolutely this is one that you know may maybe catch at a different time if if that's gonna be rough for you yeah predatory is a large word that i think of yeah the entire time there's violence against women that while Mm. may not be gory is definitely graphic yes it's very graphic graphic. and long yes very long yeah and I, i feel like it really runs the gamut on types of violence against women like you know just emotional and uh mental and manipulative violence just everyday violence is sort of like the main gist of this movie yeah the length of the violence is so horrifying but so important to showing that the perpetrator like that denying any semblance of it was an axe of self-defense the length of it is just such a horrifying hammering home that this is murder that this was a murder that we were watching and it's just of all the deaths we've seen in all of these movies and we've seen a lot of deaths in the almost 50 horror movies uh the one in this movie is gonna stick with me long long like for a long long time this movie is like if uh it follows had like comedy breaks which makes it more (laughs) disconcerting i think because it's not, you know, but with at least with It Follows, it was sort of the whole time it was playing straight horror, where this movie had some really fantastic beats where you had, you, you really, really kind of forgot the ominous tension that was going on with this. And when it comes back, it hits you as pretty much as hard as it should, because there's so, like, the, 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 the gear changes are so dramatic. Yeah, I mean, with, I with would, that out of the way, let's go ahead and say, like, we're in the full-on spoilery section at this point. I will Every, say I would so watch a version of It Follows where all the characters talk like they're teens from Superbad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that. I mean, um, I don't know. I'm into it. Uh, let me let me ask Liana. This was uh, this was a movie you chose for us to watch. Uh, what what made you uh, request this one? It is a horror that we are desensitized to every day. Period. For women, uh, you know, all marginalized genders, you are desensitized to the horror of this constantly. And so to see it in a movie so expertly done by this director who clearly knew the subject matter, clearly knew the homework, excelled at it in every way. To see it in uh, what I was going to say is like, it, it's literally it follows, but not supernatural. It's fucking real. So yeah. it's mortifying. And you hear about it in the news, uh, th- things like this in the news all the time, constantly. And so it expertly, uh, the title name is just flipped for this to be like the best revenge story. But I mean, is it really a revenge story? You know, spoilers or whatever. So Yeah, the, the title is specifically, as you mentioned, a reference to Brock Turner, the Stanford student who was, who was convicted of sexual assault. And got six months in prison because the judge said he was a promising young man. That, like, just off the title, like, that's square one where we're starting in this movie. is like a reference to some horrible shit. In terms of it being a revenge movie, if revenge is, like, a genre, I guess is is lack of... Because to me, there was so much tragedy to the revenge. And I'm just thinking about other revenge 
films I've watched, like because I've never really been like, oh, if only John Wick's wife hadn't gotten sick, like we could have avoided like all of this. He could like I wanted to see that other life for John Wick, like <laughs> to me like that there was that there was so much like, I don't know, just the tragedy of Cassie's life that like just how much well, I mean, just how much was taken from that's- her. She's not only like existing in survivor's guilt, but she's also trying to quote unquote, like make people learn a lesson. Right. So it's not necessarily revenge in itself, but it's also trying to teach everyone what they did wrong. So it's mm-hmm. even more painful to watch her waste her entire life, quote unquote. And they like reach back to that with her putting her degree aside and putting her entire career aside to do this for her best friend when in reality, every time she tries to teach every person a lesson, it never gets through. So like, it's that much more tragic seeing her being broken down as well, the much scene, like her best friend. Yeah. The scene with Nina's mother, Molly Shannon, like it's not a particularly plot impactful scene, but it sticks with me so much in uh, what it says about Cassie's character and, the, and her arc on the movie. I think it's a very impactful scene. You know, it's not as, it's not like visually or emotionally impactful in terms of the way that it's depicted, but it is a turning point for Cassie's character. That, that's this, true. Yeah, this movie yeah. is is really real in a lot of ways, even though it, it the the presentation is very theatrical. Speaking the, of theatrical, can I take a second and just put on my nerd glasses? And, sure. Um, how how intentional do you guys feel like the naming of Cassandra is in this movie? Because like for anybody familiar with Greek mythology, Cassandra is a a name heavy with meaning. She is prophet and a seer. She is specifically somebody who gives prophecies that could save people's lives and that nobody listens to, which I was like, the, the moment we got into this movie, I was like, Oh no, her name is Cassandra. Oh no, that is like something. (laughs) I mean, an intentional move with the themes of the movie and her actions with her trying to teach. It was like it feels like impossible that it could that that could have been a coincidence. Right. It seems very intentional, especially with like the imagery of her being very like, quote unquote, innocent looking. So like candy colors, all of her outfits are very like what seems like youth girl, like dress up. But like as an adult, you know, very cutesy kind of like, you know. I don't know. It it seems very almost innocence, not the word, just because of her how her character takes actions, but um, seemingly good, which is the opposite of every other literal character in this entire movie. So, was saccharine was the word that I kept thinking of with the with the color palette. Um, the the pink happened. of her parents' house. Like yeah, that, almost. But so this isn't really in regards to the themes or plot or character arc. But I believe it's not mentioned in the movie, but I'm looking at the cast list and I feel it's really important that we all know that Max Greenfield's character is named Joe Macklemore III. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> that, that feels legit. Um, yeah, and just on that same sort of nerdy Cassandra bent, they do this thing throughout the movie that's very intentional where they keep framing her on her bed in a way that like the bed post behind her looks like wings. And then specifically there is a shot of her in the coffee shop where there's like this decal behind her that makes, that looks like a halo, 
like of a saint in that in was a painting. Some, that was some straight up young pope like <laughs> image right there. Even with her confronting Alison Brie in the restaurant too, wasn't there like a large like uh, there was like a light or something that was ahead? Of, I remember above her that was like very circular, and I was like, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Also, here's how Jewish I am. I can't just say Christianity. I'm like, you know, the TV show that had that religion y'all are so crazy about. <laughs> Rule of thirds were very, that was very uh, prevalent in this film. Um, and it's, I thought it was quite nice because of the complexity of the subjects and the masterful writing, the masterful dialogue writing that we had this very aesthetically pleasing, but also um, almost ceremonial depiction of these characters in frame, especially with Cassie. And I didn't actually think, I thought about the Cassandra thing a little bit, but the movie has such a momentum that you really have to be, other than like the bit with the halo, which I thought was, you know, I was like, okay, I I see what you did there. And the color choices also seem very, very, uh, very deliberate. But the movie has such a momentum that that is just icing on this this delectable, very heavy cake <laughs> that is the uh, the progression of this movie. Yeah, uh, I was just to, to go into a little bit of, of the plot here, like we get these first couple of bits where she is going out and looking as if she is blackout drunk in the club and waiting for guys to come and pick her up and attempt to take advantage of her uh, before just just fucking their shit up. Um it's a little unclear early on exactly what she's doing because I was sure she was killing people, but it becomes very clear later on that, you know, they, she's letting people live to tell the tale of, you know, these, these girls who were you know, preying a, on people. There's a very misleading blood drop going down her hand at one point, but I think we're led to believe that she just orders her hamburgers rare. I was just going to say, like, all the trailers intentionally, like, did not lead to any type of view, which I loved because I had seen the trailers prior to actually watching this movie, thinking that it was going to be a slasher film, mm-hmm. um, which I'd still love to watch, uh, and was happily surprised that it was so in-depth and so serious of a movie as opposed to her just, you know, stab, stab, revenge. So the bit where she's walking down the street after the first scene of her kind of turning tables on this guy that picks her up from this club full of like this office party where dudes aggressively horrified all-star Adam Brody making another appearance on this show. Right. Yeah. Is that four or five Adam Brody movies we've done so far? Oh, it's definitely getting up there. We also get Sam Richardson. Sam Richardson. When they're making Sam Richardson a complete asshole monster, I knew no one was coming out of this move. Like no, like no one who traditionally plays a likable character was coming out of this movie looking good. Also, I will say if we do get that whole like if we get President Superman, Sam Richardson's my dark horse pick for Superman. <laughs> Sounds good. Think about it. Sam Richardson in the Oval Office, bam, pulls it off, and you know, then he's Superman, and you it's too good it. to be true. As usual, but the uh, the bit where she was walking down the street and she had like the hamburger looks almost directly taken from the super super sexist Carl's Jr. ads that we were subjected to in the nineties, where the uh, the, the office was Jessica Simpson. I don't. That was just Jessica Simpson. The nineties. I feel like that was last year. I, I guess I'm going to early two thousands. Like we're we're chronicling the timeline of sexist fast food ads. <laughs> 
This was one where it was a bunch of guys in an office and they were watching a woman in the office across the way with binoculars eating a Carl's Jr. hamburger and like marking where the ketchup fell on her blouse. Um, And it was a very, very common ad and so much. And I was young enough that I was like, eh. And then I I basically had like a sit down talk with my folks. Apparently it was a, I was just apropos of it coming on. And they were like, this is, um, this is fucking invasive. And I was like, oh yeah, you're, yeah. I'm 12 or whatever. Uh, thanks, mom and dad. Hey, to the Pearl Jam listening to 90s Don Draper wannabe asshole who's definitely listening to this horror movie podcast. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Don Draper. Couldn't have said 90s. it better myself, honestly. <laughs> they grew up in the 90s or they were teens in the 90s. They would have wanted to be Tyler Durden, which is like... Yeah, worse. worse. Yeah, Some, yeah, somehow better, worse, equal in between. Can we yeah. get like John Hamm back for like '90s Mad Men, where he's just talking and that like doing his crazy speech? But now he's talking about how to connect with Gen X. Oh my god! Oh boy! I don't know. I, Mad like Men is Beavis a show I can watch as a sequel. Speaking oh of like people with range, uh, John Hamm range, right? Like the amount of casting that was done intentionally for these like normal typical good good boy castings or whatever to Mm -hmm. be flipped and for you to be like come on there's like one maybe one good one left no oh okay like all terrible all fucking terrible awful like so great because they all absolutely killed it schmidt from uh new girl uh bo burnham when he when he opened when he the door to the cabin opens and it's schmidt from new girl I audibly yelled like, "No!" Was <laughs> did he? you? You cared that much? I was like, I saw, you know, after sitting through New Girl probably two or three times, I'm like, "Yeah, murder I mean, that it, guy. Get him. Do get it. him." Yeah, no. you know, I'm it's just good kidding. casting, and the Excellent. character deserves it. But he's some of the only like good Jewish representation. Like, no, he's great, 2010s. and that's why he he did so well as a bad guy. Like, oh, absolutely, he fucking nailed it. But the also, scenes, you know, when he oh my god, when he's just when he's telling Al like you did nothing wrong, it's not oh. your fault. Oh god, almost made so me that was out. Joe. Hated it. Yeah. Oh. yeah so, so real. Not Schmidt. That that scene doesn't happen in New Girl. Thank God. I, yeah. Good. That'd be a yeah, dark, that'd be a real shark jumper of an episode. Let's talk a little bit about Bo Burnham here. Thank you. Because oh, yeah. he's one fantastic in this movie. Two, uh, my wife was giving me shit about this because she came in halfway through the movie and she's like, well, clearly he's a bad guy. Like, he's a horrible guy. He's got all the the telltale signs of uh, somebody who knows how to pretend to be a nice guy. And I was like, no, the movie has definitely led me to think that this guy is nice. And then, like, they're clearly setting it up. And especially, like, once things start to resolve and it seems like everything's going to be okay at, like, the midpoint of the movie... It's like, oh, oh no, I, I, I was like, I, I called where this was going. Okay. He was like your last thread of hope. That's the, yeah. the problem is yeah. that he was intentionally placed for your last sort of hope for human decency whatsoever. Yeah. However, that does not exist in real life. And so the director clearly was like, <laughs> just kidding. And then <laughs> that last scene with him being like, also, fuck you, you'll fail. Like, you're like, I'm not even, God damn yeah. it. Yeah. To me, 
And this is all pre-inside, I, by the way. I, like, right. Obviously. The one scene I had, like, I rewound just because I, it, it threw me for a loop because I was not expecting it. And I thought he just did such a good job was the Alfred Molina scene. To me, what I found so, like, especially remind, like, the Alfred Molina scene with uh, Bo Burnham Ryan in that. And to me, a difference that kind of, that really screamed out to me is that Ryan was demanding her forgiveness and Alfred Molina was apologizing with no expectation of forgiveness. He is one of the more decent characters in the movie, I think, because like he realizes that he has done a bad thing, that he has messed up a person's life. And he, for whatever value, is taking responsibility for that. He wants to be punished for that because like he is not allowing him, like he's not sleeping. He's, uh, you know, really suffering in the way that like Cassie wants people to suffer, right? Like Cassie is generally not trying to kill anybody, but like she wants people to, to understand the magnitude of what they've done and to, to be sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I I really um, appreciate that the, that the film doesn't go to the extreme of being a slasher or being, you know, it's all about the psychological horror and everything. And, and it's also really interesting because you have all these scenes where she is building up this um, reversal, um, where she's convincing people that she is, you know, either cool with them or drunk or whatever, and then she she turns that situation on its side to sort of teach these these people their the error of their ways. Um, however, it, and all those scenes, rather, I, I should mention, all those scenes are depicting her as very confident, you know. She is living out a fantasy, a revenge fantasy that a lot of women would love to live out, but would definitely be um, like just life threatening Um, and how she uh, she she, you know, gets away with it is is really satisfying in that. And her confidence is amazing. But in this Alfred Molina scene, she's terrified. Um, He touches her and she jumps and flinches and she's she you see that she's like sincerely out of her depth not expecting the situation to turn this direction for remorse uh, or anything yeah yeah you only thing i because again it it the scenes when she's like turning the tables on these guys like it's this moment of like catharsis it's sat and satisfying the own and the the confidence and the power she has is like really see the only thing i don't like about her plan is that her whole encounter is definitely going to end up as a fucking chapter in Christopher Mintz Plass's like goddamn Charles Bukowski wannabe novel. (laughs) (laughs) He's putting that shit right in the goddamn novel and I hate him for it. Well, maybe he was just doing too much coke. I mean, listen, if he's done that much coke and he still hasn't written his novel, he's probably never going to write it. That's I like that moral. If you can't work on coke, then you didn't really want it, did you? Yeah, yeah. You just wanted to talk about it, mm-hmm. which is like people that wanted that like the idea of being a writer more than actually writing. Never encountered that before. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Stares into the distance, into the void, looking oh looking behind my shoulder I, into the distance. I I love that you talked about the reversal because, uh, and I'm sorry if I go off on a platform here. But I, 
thought that it was interesting that she not only did that, but she did it equally across uh, whoever, despite the gender, whoever it was. So like including Alison Brie and the Dean, I forgot the actress. Um, also, and casting then- Alison Brie as white feminism personified again another fucking high five to that casting decision that casting was so incredible and she is the fucking worst i love it like so bad so like she embodies the quote-unquote like what uh a lot of i feel like a lot of women fear and what a lot of women experience or uh you know or marginalized genders uh with sexual assault is that it's the fear of everyone not believing you and mm-hmm. so she personifies literally the token fucking asshole that does not believe the other women who have experienced this. And so uh, you would think that her, you know, even past the Alison Brie goes to the Dean and tries whatever, but she does it equally across the board, plays every character or whatever she goes under disguise and like ends up somehow doing this very intelligent, not attack, but way to trap someone to make them learn why they did what they did and how wrong it was. And even if it was like insanely manipulative, and I thought that it was interesting the way they did it with the Dean is that it's in the very traditional, like for anybody who's been out of college or like Ivy league college or anything, that's just like old school, like very uh, gross library looking kind of, established old traditional bullshit and then her being like yeah i kidnapped your daughter fuck you you know like for her to do that and like because you know the role was reversed and she was betrayed by who should be the safe entryway to not only talk about it or report it or anything but no because he's a promising young man he has the life ahead of him and he could do nothing yeah, yeah. sorry really interesting I just... to me. no 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 that's, that was, that's that was, super that, valid yeah that's, that's what this podcast is for absolutely this is your platform here you I go hate universities i hate i hate them they're all corrupt they're like um well, <laughs> speaking I love, of somebody I've... who whose parents were professors i can say yes this yeah. is this is the case, but, um, and who has, has worked and spent a lot of time and went to a, not a big university, but yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, and went to, yep. Yeah. Oof, big oof there. But the, the language used in a lot of these scenes is so well placed because in, in another writer's hands, it probably would seem preachy or something, or it seemed tongue in cheek, but this is a lot of this is, is delivered um, with a straight face and delicately, you know, with the, landing those blows, like, you know, um, promising young man, et cetera, that hold the whole opening of that scene with the Dean where she says, Oh, my friend, Nina, do you remember her? The Dean doesn't remember Nina, but her abuser speaks at the college regularly because yeah. now he is an accomplished doctor. So yeah, that's, there's just the, the implications of that. Every, every bit of this dialogue. Yeah. Is, is like the tip of this enormous iceberg and hats off to the writer. Awesome. Yeah, and the, the deployment of, of Connie Britton there as the Dean is, is incredible because I feel like you could very easily I mean, we've definitely seen movies where some version of the speech is given by a male dean. Men, um, yeah, all the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think, you know, having having this indication of this, this 
you know, female Dean that Nina might have chosen to go see her because, you know, she thought she would be the sympathetic one. She would, you know, listen to what she had to say and is not only complicit, but regretted like, it over time to learn her lesson. Yeah. Totally and and she's, out of her mind. she's totally forgotten about Nina as well. Like she has seemingly willfully gotten rid of this memory of, of this like, girl who came to her for help. That the boys will be boys out here like never ends. Like this is not high school. This is not undergrad. They are med students. They are at like, and it sounds yeah. like at least more than halfway Two through. master's PhD. Yeah. They yeah. are. At minimum, 24 and 25 years old, like when it happens. And Bo Burnham's character is a pediatrician. Yeah, it's great casting. Oh my God, fantastic casting (laughs) because Bo Burnham, Bo Burnham comes in and I'm like, wow, he's a doctor and look, he's he's funny. and He's goofy, he's endearing. Yeah, he's, you know. He's so fucking charming. I'm like, wow, this is, this is too good to be true. This has to be too good to be true. And, you know. It um, is. Oh my god, it is. Dun, dun, um, dun. And the fact that he has like little pictures, patients have sent him like thank you, Dr. Cooper, or whatever, with like the little horses and stuff. They they really didn't pull any punches. The snap on him as an actor of like when she goes to confront him about the recording and he is playing coy throughout and then is you know like oh well that was a whole long time ago like that was a different person i'm a different person now and then like when she doesn't accept that the fact that that he just like gets that shot in at her as she goes out the door and just calls her a fucking failure like yeah just oh my god it's like it's so real because like there's so many people who will who will play that part right up until you know the moment of truth and then they'll and it's a just give that shot to the ribs. it's not like it's, there's a build-up or anything because i mean you're the build-up is the whole movie but it's abrupt and it's unapologetic yeah he and doesn't that, care that was another one i had to go back because i i wanted to hear if he actually apologized i know he oh yeah. asked for he, he mm-hmm. asked for, for no not asked demands he demands forgiveness but I went back and I made sure like he does never at any point actually apologize or say mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yep. Again. Yep. I contrast with Melina. Apologies without hope of forgiveness, demand of forgiveness without an apology without apology. Yeah. It's a very po- important juxtaposition. Um, and I wanna I want to lay out a few context points here, just in case you're listening and you're you're not you haven't seen the movie, which watch this movie, please. But um, we have uh, Cassandra. Her name was Cassandra. And she uh, is going around in this vengeance quest to teach people um, about the context of sexual assault and uh, basically by um, baiting dudes by acting drunk. Um, and she doesn't react so much violently as she does just with attitude um and while it's it's the kind of conversation that a lot of us wish we could have in these kind of situations um there the the possibility of that breaking bad is so real that you know it's not something that i would suggest you know or that i would ever and really endeavor but she is a superhero in that way that she has everything kind of stacked up so she feels that confidence and she does all this to avenge her friend nina who it was a victim of 
was a best friend that she had since childhood, was a victim of um, sexual assault in in this university, in this medical school. And there was a gang rape, and then it was recorded. Um, we don't find out about the recording until later. But as the movie progresses, we find out about who was involved and who know who knew what. And and just from the mention of the attacker's name um, and that that moment where we through the audio cues and the visual cues and everything, it's such a, a relatable triggering moment for her where she has this new resolution. Meanwhile, her life is just her working at a coffee sh- coffee shop while she goes and, you know, spends her nights, um, you know, as this, this avenging angel of uh, fuck you um, and her, she's lives, living with her family, which they have this kind of, weird mid-century rococo uh aesthetic in their house so it's very like princessy um and she is also depicted with a lot of these like pink and and saccharine pastel colors um and everyone is trying to get her to achieve her potential which is another reason that i think promising young woman is such a great title for this film um there's a line um the dad has after the dinner where he says like he misses him and he says like but he says to cassie i've missed you too yeah and it's so well dropped because it's the dad sort of being suddenly vulnerable and very uncomfortably vulnerable and he's like uh, we love nina we're so happy for you we love nina we missed you too because they've been watching her just kind of after she drops out of medical school to take care of Nina. Now we don't necessarily know what happened to Nina, whether, although it is very, because of her trauma, it is um, suggested that her death is attributed to uh, trauma or mental illness that results from her her mm-hmm. abuse and her, the gang rape and, and every, all of that. Um, and, uh, and, and that's another way that the film pulls the, the right punches where it doesn't talk, it doesn't talk too much in detail about the uh, the experience of Nina, because in terms of like her her decline and her her death, we just know that she's dead and she um, carried the weight of this trauma for the rest of her life. They didn't objectify her experience. If anything, yes. we were learning the lesson of everybody else's input into the experience, as you should as you know an outlier a bystander yeah which i thought was the most interesting part of the movie yeah i know it's weird to praise any this movie in any part as a comedy but the moment where sam richardson doesn't want to do like 20 percent surge price on the (laughs) like he's like it's the scummiest moment but it got of it just didn't make me laugh just that they pulled a lot of like a lot Dark of just comedy. very interesting, quippy, very real things that people do that are just fucking shitty. Like they yeah. did it. Like much like, yeah, I'm not paying for surge prices. Or like the dialogue or whatever at the bar, like between all the men, like a lot of the I thought it was interesting that all the arcs were very slow up until the third where everything's happening and everything's yeah. going. But like up until then, first arc, you're literally just seeing like gross dudes grinding up against each other at a bar and like talking shit, like locker room talk. And you're like, 
this is what I have to watch for the next, you know, like. Yeah, I think that what the movie did really well. And yeah, the surge prize and like every little moment of real life minor terribleness. I think there's a lot in how societal allowance of tiny bits of just being an asshole, tiny bits of just of that, and it, and it just builds, and yeah. it just builds and builds until it's tolerating being more and more of an asshole, more hurtful and damaging until you've crossed into true monster, until you monster and dealing trauma. And I love how in a lot of these situations where the dudes where you know, the dudes experience the reversal, they react l- like children. They don't want to feel guilty. They yeah. don't want to take responsibility whatsoever. Yeah. yeah in, they've, in they've comedic ways at times. Teased in some way, you know, they're the, the they scene where wrong. she did Chris, something wrong. Where Christopher Minspa says that he thought they had a connection and she just breaks it down was just a very that was a very sad thing. just seeing her demolished hackneyed awful excuses and yeah. defense and non-defenses and watching paul run away being like you guys ruined everything you know or seeing um al at the end of the movie which in the scene you know she shows up this is after everything kind of falls apart because she she deletes her her social media and throws her phone away, which I think is one of the most apropos. And it didn't feel tongue in cheek, you know. It felt like very meaningful this decision that she made to get off of social media and stop, you know, stalking these people and blah blah, you know, because Molly Shannon's character has convinced her to to move on, and then she's giving a relationship a chance um, with the Bo Burnham with Ryan, um, and when that falls apart then she decides to pursue the bachelor party for the attacker of the guy who essentially started Nina's collapse, who caused Nina's collapse. Yeah. And and let's, let's talk about that ending too. After yeah, bachelor yeah. Party. let's dive into that. I was actually going to get to that because I, the whole, this whole movie, I'm like, this, this situation could break bad in so many ways. And it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is a, a very bold and meaningful move for this film to end on and also very Cassandra like because Cassandra was killed movie protagonist. If you got to tie someone up, use zip ties. It's the 2020 zip. No more handcuffs, zip ties. I love that line about the handcuffs where she's like, Oh, it's for safety. You know, it's a, it's a precaution. I think because you're like automatically shaped the entire movie to know that she is like quote unquote teaching a lesson right like you Mm -hmm. don't really see the ending coming just based off of like she was really i mean not lighting a match and throwing it to the gas but like she predicated i mean she prepared and left i think what shocked me was that she had already planned like she gave the lawyer and everyone the phone and she like prepped and he was already like trying to um, atone for whatever sins he had, you know, he knew what his fate was, but this is the one redemption for him, which is crazy for a character arc of this lawyer or whatever, right? Like, yeah, what is he going to do? But like for the fact that she had to die to do so, but because she, she had already died prior to because her entire life was a shell for her best friend like it had already happened and so for it it was just a shock because she did what what had to be done 
really yeah right? yeah i mean in, in her mind yeah and and honestly it was a brutal bit of realism even though again this movie is very theatrical in its in its depictions but to acknowledge that risk that she was taking in that way and actually have her just have her body get burned and you know we see her her bits of her corpse and stuff like that like i was not expecting that at all this mo- morning after scene with him with chris lowell who's playing al and uh max greenfield who's playing joe where like they're making her death about him like about mm-hmm. how like oh he can get out of this he's a good guy like you know he shouldn't have to to suffer for this they'll do whatever they have to to like make things better for him he shouldn't worry about this is so like nauseating and real um and and it's nauseating after watching her die for two minutes like yeah really way that that's the impact that they're able to just so quickly jump to like you were the real victim of the crime you committed yeah um and and also considering there was a whole bunch of reversals the, the I, film had this this rhythm set up of reversals. I was expecting her to somehow be alive or, you know, something like that. But she was, they burned her body, I, but she still was, managed to make it, it happen. It was so horrifying how long it in that they showed to us, like, especially, you know, suffocating us and after everything, like, again, seeing her, like, but I'm glad it wasn't, that it was something that took away, that was delib- so deliberate I'm glad because I felt like you could have had gone a direction where they're t- they're struggling and like he hits her once and like she falls and like hits her head and that's how she does. And then it becomes and then you give him that he give he's able to give himself this out of like, oh, yeah. it, it was a mistake. Like, no, there is there is a moment where it is self-defense, a moment where it is just struggling. And then there is a very very deliberate moment where it turns into like murder and it is horrifying but it is necessary for the movie very intentional extreme murder and what emily said you hope there's a reversal afterwards you're praying the next morning she was awake it's fine nope yeah that's the unfortunate reality of sexual assault and stuff like that is it doesn't just go away it's there and so yeah. she is very dead, very, very dead. But she knew that going in. She knew she was going to die. One woman against how many men were in that cabin? Like, yeah. I read that the original ending was just, and then they get away with it. And then they screen that. And then I was like, okay, no, this is too bleak. I think that this, the bit with the cops crashing the wedding was fantastic. I also loved that detective. And how completely skeptical he was of Bo Burnham's character. Um, the the detective kind of was fantastic. Yeah, the, <laughs> um, the good and great Steve Monroe, who uh, yeah. if you've seen Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Yes, I was immediately there. I was immediately like Paula's husband. What are you doing here? <laughs> he has an incredible name. Like it's the kind of name you can write an entire like series of airport mystery books. Detective Lincoln Waller. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking yes. That's an Amazon series right there. Um, okay. I th- so, uh, we let's... should talk about our our talking points, yeah. I think. I have a question for the forum mm-hmm. about Gail. How how much of the black best friend trope is she, in uh, your opinion? 
it's I mean, of pretty much entirely, but I'm just always happy to see Laverne Cox. And otherwise, we wouldn't have any queer or black representation in the movie. I loved her character, regardless of the. I mean, I I recognize the trope like immediately. I mean, I, if it was about her, if it was more about her, then it may have diluted the the point of the film. I would love her character. I would watch a quirky romantic comedy where Laverne Cox plays one of the leads as the owner of a hipster coffee shop. I am. I am glad to see Laverne Cox here. I would not have wanted Laverne Cox to be part of the A plot of this movie. No. I'm glad no. they kept the, you know, black trans woman away from the rape revenge plot. Yeah. Um, for what the plot of the movie is, I'm actually, yeah, I'm really glad Laverne Cox's role is to run a coffee shop and have a pleasant time. This movie is, I, I think, blessed and to some extent plagued by the like, amazing cast of people that you're like oh Laverne Cox is here she's going to do something amazing in this movie oh she's only in like four scenes and not a terribly important character huh I feel like there is really like no speaking role that isn't a fantastic or beloved like character sitcom actor I do want to ask the question though is this movie feminist and how yeah (laughs) this is a this is a feminist essay um about about sexual assault this movie is basically it is it is a very well put together very dramatic essay about point of view and really picking out those big issues about how sexual assault is talked about and considered and going back to how uh nina's death wasn't objectified the fact that we didn't we we knew what happened but we didn't hear anything about Nina's specific reaction other than the fact that she was carrying that weight. I think that's also a really important point to talk about with sexual assault, with especially, I mean, not just with women, but especially when it comes to trauma, because it's not about how bad it is or what happened. It's about the fact that this person was affected by it. And it's also um, like they're not their story that they, or it's not their story to tell, really. Yeah. Is- yeah such a huge thing that goes hand in hand with that disbelief fear and trauma already that you're already having with the experience of the trauma of sexual assault but also the uh ripple effect of everything that you have for the rest of your life while experiencing it and the fact that carrie is holding this weight for her almost trying trying to but you really can't do that for somebody else Mm -hmm. i think that the reason that they actually were able to uh, really display that authentically in a film really shows that this is a feminist movie and too like surprised that they got funding for this and that it was so successful because Hollywood obviously very corrupt and very you know it something can have both the precision of a scalpel and the force of a sledgehammer it is this movie yeah sorry to interrupt Emily sorry oh no 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 that's that's perfectly said yeah i I think this movie does an incredible job of of to some extent undermining expectations about what a movie like this is about you know making it less about the the slasher and the violence and the you know i will say i think particularly we were talking about the movie revenge before this and they go great lengths in revenge to just like show the trauma of being sexually assaulted 
at great length in that movie. I, I will say, hands up if you've ever wanted to take a tire iron and just smash the shit out of someone catcalling you from a car. I So, obviously, when you had asked for me to come on, which thank you so much, seriously, great to talk to all three of you this entire time, especially this is the most fun I've had talking about movies in so long. <laughs> uh, you were like, what movie do you want to watch? And I had listed Revenge because I had just recently watched it as recommendation from my friend Skylar. And I had realized, and I think I had watched Promising Young Woman weeks after, and just being like, almost kind of like getting whiplash from not only watching those similarly in like a month apart, but also what's wild is it's trying to say the same thing, but it's really not. And it's just the genre of movie that it's trying to convey and Promising Young Woman being something that obviously easily awarded for many things because it is the storytelling is impeccable the way they do it and how it's manipulated from both her point of view and also reflected by everyone else's actions but two like revenge just being like i love horrors i love slashers i love cheesy b movies but damn like those two movies could not be any different so mm -hmm. i i'm glad that you picked this movie but i would easily talk about either movie either way this it makes it feminist as shit. This movie is so fucking feminist because it it you could clearly hear a voice being yes. expressed this entire movie who has unjustifiably experienced this, which is fucking awful. And for many people to resonate with it, which sucks, yeah. uh, shows how incredibly important it was for this movie to be out and for how much detail went into it uh to be authentic i guess is the only word that i can think of right now. yeah absolutely I, I i think it's it stands up that way much better than a lot of movies i could name i think you know notably starting with i spit on your grave um and working its way down through like decades of cinema now did you have any recommendations you wanted to give i think Watch whatever makes you happy right now for me. That is the slow pace Downton Abbey, which is not anywhere near what usually makes people happy. Love a little bit of comedy. I'm rewatching Brooklyn Nine-Nine right now. And also, I haven't watched Downton Abbey, but I feel like Maggie Smith being mean to people will always make me happy. Oh, oh it'll make you incredibly happy. It is so relaxing to watch the very, very privileged shitty lives of you know the is this 191800s i don't know when they're discovering electricity and stuff i'm like what a time early 1900s yeah. i believe yeah um you know watch some shira or something after this that's a good palate cleanser <laughs> yeah shira shira and the princesses of power and the princesses of power uh care of noel stevenson i don't know what uh different what makes sense for this movie? I feel like American Psycho would be the opposite of this movie. I don't know about that. Yeah, that's like from the perspective of the worst man. Uh, oh, man. Definitely nailed it with she as the palate cleanser. <laughs> also yeah. been watching a lot of Owl House, which I can't recommend that show enough. Yeah, It's Owl hard House to say because, like, again, the natural thing to think of is like, something like revenge, like a more typical revenge movie, but that's really not what it is. I'm really struggling aside 
to think of something else that kind of has this movie's tone and also its clarity of theme and purpose. Um, yeah, what I would recommend if people like this, especially if they like the dark humor of this and the way it plays with mixing really, really dark shit with really, really funny shit, Killing Eve, which Emerald mm, Fennell also yeah. wrote on, has has that in spades. It's excellently done. You know, I, I think... I think that is absolutely worth uh, picking up. It is not nearly as, I mean, it is definitely serious, but in like a fun spy kind of way. Watch (laughs) that. Watch Killing Eve to learn where they got the idea for all of Yelena from the Black Widow movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially if you are really Mm -hmm. just looking for more of Emerald Fennel's writing, uh, Killing Eve is definitely the place to do it. It's great. It's uh, an amazing spy show and it's super queer. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it, but I heard it's super queer and it's on you my list. Seen any? I None of like, I haven't seen the most recent season, but like, yeah, man, uh, you would like it. I believe I will. As the show, I mean, first season's great. As it goes on, the plot becomes increasingly. I'm not exactly sure what's happening or why, but I'm in for these two just being messy murder girlfriends. I mean, I sat through all of Hannibal and loved it, and I think I'm down for this. It sounds delightful. So Hannibal, that's a good barometer of queer obsessive dysfunction that Killing Eve runs on. Yeah, less cannibalism. Yeah. More more uh spy murder yeah general still same amount of killing but less cannibalism and i assume less artsy Mm, not as artsy but pretty artsy Ooh, ooh, yeah finger two lips Ooh, well you sold it the fashion of villanelle beautiful yeah i'm i am i'm ready here i am this is me ready (laughs) yeah i this movie was really interesting Obviously, if you want me to come on again, I'm happy to. Uh, it was. We'd love to have you on again. Uh, before you go, I do want to make sure you have a chance to uh, let people know where they can find you online to plug anything you have coming up. Yeah. Um, so all of my social media platforms is Liana Kingus. Um, I typically stream once a week, but right now I'm taking a little bit of a break just because of deadlines. Um, I'm finishing up my creator and series True Cult, which is out in September. And I actually just had Star Wars come out. Uh, I did my first uh, stint of Star Wars with IDW and Sam Mags. That is out already. You can get Star Wars Adventures number seven and eight. And I have things like She Said Destroy and stuff out uh, and TKOs, things that you can purchase online, Comixology stuff. I cannot thank you enough. And Emily, it was really great to meet you. Thank you. Uh, Likewise knowing jeremy and b already like i really enjoy hanging out with them i love horror movies and thrillers and this was obviously in the realm of in between and very serious and i'm just glad i got to talk with thank you so much for coming on it was a pleasure to to have you and yeah yeah, i hadn't had a chance to watch this movie yet so this was a a good excuse good can't wait to give you a giant list of other stuff to watch please oh my gosh oh my gosh please 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 (laughs) All y'all make sure all y'all listen and make sure to check out Liana's work because it's all awesome. Contact me on Twitter at Megamoth and other things at Megamoth. Instagram mega underscore moth. Um, I might have some sexy AO3, moth. I think I have some Megamoth. What? I said AO3 at Megamoth. <laughs> I, I haven't started a, I, AO3 is a is those are some depths I have not plums. 
It's like the Mines of Moira, but Moria. <laughs> the Mines of Moira, Moira just sounds like the greatest Lord of the Rings Shit's Creek crossover. I mean, I'd be into it. Catherine yeah. O'Hara as the Balrog. Yeah. Fucking yeah. Let's do it. That's our that's our new uh, <laughs> parody special. Uh, you, Moira. Oh, my God. Hell yeah. Shit's Creek Lord of the Rings. That's what's up. You can find me uh, on Twitter at, at BenTheCon, uh, BenConComics.com. Uh, Renegade Rule is out in stores now, and you can pre-order the comic book tie-in to Immortals Phoenix Rising. Yay. But you can also pick up Princeless. Yes. It's out. And I'm doing the, the I'm doing it right now. Look, look at I'm drawing it right now. I'm looking at her do it. It's really look, it's awful. happening. Look, it's happening. You have proof now. When, She's arting as we speak. Oh my god, with this capped pen. Um, no, I ink on the oh, digital no, tablet now. So, um, but yeah. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at jrum58. Uh, it's jeremywhitley.com. You can pre-order the second book of School for Extraterrestrial Girls right now. You can. Uh, go buy all nine volumes of Princeless and Raven the Pirate Princess. The tenth one of those are coming eventually. Um, and Progressively Horrified, the podcast is on Patreon at patreon.com slash progressively horrified. We'd love it if you'd give us money to talk more shit about horror movies. Um, it's Twitter at Prague Horror Pod. Come talk to us. Talk your own shit about horror movies. Uh, the website is progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm. Please come subscribe rate and review for us guys this has been episode 50 of progressively horrified we've done 50 oh my goodness oh wow go us Quin- quintennial well how do we- what is that? that that would be 500 that would be oh shit That's... 500 divided by 10 i don't know how to say that in latin but uh, quindeca is that Quinta- te- you know what 50 estodias so quick question At for everybody us? How would Moira Rose say, "You shall not pass"? I don't. I'm not as familiar with the character. So Ben, it's all you. Oh, I have to. Let's see. Oh man, I hope I don't fuck this up. It's be like you. Yes, you with the wings. You shall not pass. That's good. That's good. Yes. I feel it. I've got it. Yeah, I'm feeling right here. Um, uh, run, uh, fly, you fool. Audience, don't judge don't judge me too harshly. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you so much to Liana for joining us as well. Uh, it was a ball. I hope you guys enjoyed the movie and enjoyed the podcast. And uh, as always, until next time, stay horrified. Oh, and next time, next time, it's going to be Scary Movie Month. We're going to be talking about uh, Halloween. Slashers. We're going to have we are doing a special thing for October. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this more on some digressively horrified, but all of October, every week, we're having a huge party of some of our, our best friends to come in and talk about the original slashers from some of the, the great franchises. So we're going to be talking about Halloween. We're going to be talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. We're going to be talking about Friday the 13th. We're going to be talking about Child's Play, and we're going to be talking about Saw. So... Join us every Friday in October for some amazing, I'm sure it's going to be crazy, uh, talks about these these old school slashers and a couple of new school slashers. Until next time, stay horrified.
Progressively Horrified was created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Emily Martin, and Liana Kangas. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and is provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Support us on Patreon or contact us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. <laughs>